Hi everyone, welcome back to another batch of Squiggly Film Club podcasts. Way ha ha ooh ah, No. Yay! No. There you go. <laughs> Steve gets the spirit. I'm full of it. So yes, we're uh, we're back. I'm joined by Laura Beth Cowley and Steve Henderson, and we're going to be watching Tokyo Godfathers, uh, a Christmas film suggested by Laura Beth. Yes. And uh, did you just come across this one randomly looking up Christmas I films? I googled Christmas animation films. And this was like the first one. There we are didn't. only like ten. <laughs> yeah. We gotta space them out. I think we'll do like four a year. Yeah, <laughs> if this is an and ongoing everyone else, thing. hurry up and make some films. Yeah, because um, we're gonna run out by next year. I um, I really dug this film. I uh, mm. I don't know. Should we just hit play and? Uh, just like maybe quickly ask Steve how. Oh no, let's yeah, let's press play and then I'll ask Steve a question. Okay, Doc, are you ready, Steve? I'm ready. And three, three two. two. One, play. And a big, bright, sunny logo kicks things off. Uh, Destination Films. So this is a kind of standard home media release version. I understand it's been re-released this year. Nightmares instantly. Well, just a happy baby. (laughs) That's not a baby, that's a doll. Okay, well... I was really worried when we first watched this that that was going to be the style. <laughs> I think it's like, oh, this is going to be nightmare fodder. Good to know. Oh, it's one of them films. Uh, yeah, the doll plays a fairly uh, small role. Is uh, have have you ever seen this film, Steve? No, this is the first ever Squiggly Film Club film that we're watching that I've never seen or watched quickly before the podcast <laughs> um yeah i've never seen it i don't know what to expect or yeah it's it's like I say it's one of those films that you can only find through the magic of google have you seen any of the director's other films what else has the director done uh he did paprika and he did um Oh, what's it called? Something Perfect blue? blue. Perfect blue. I wanted to say silent blue for some reason. Which um, you watched? I watched with you recently for something you were doing. Yeah, because it's a horror film. Right. Okay. Uh, which I quite liked. Um, mm. This is a quite. This is quite different. I that was more this. sort of. I feel that this is more of a kind of solid film. Like, it has this kind of real strong comedy through line to it. Whereas Perfect Blue, which was good. I mean, I you know, anime is not my sort of main genre when it comes to We've not animation really films. Covered a lot of anime. Have we did we cover any anime in the first bout? Nope. No, I don't think so, which is why I think it's nice to, to finally get around to it, you know. Um I'm making an active uh attempt to educate myself more on Asian animation in general. Hmm. Because I've, I've realised that it's a big hole in my knowledge. Yeah. Um, I've been doing a little bit of teaching recently, and uh, a big part of the cohort are, are Asian. And so they've been sort of recommending films and shows and stuff that they like and have watched. And it's just such a huge part of most people of its, of a younger age's education that I feel like it was for me for a while when I was like a teenager, and then I quite quickly left it when I went into formal education. Was that more shows or was it films as well? 
a mix of things. I never really watched Miyazaki growing up. I watched um, anime more gen like not general anime, but like sh- more uh, anime series, I guess. Yeah, but I would have. I think I must have watched some feature films. But Miyazaki never did anything for me, and it still doesn't really. Hmm. Um, I I've watched I watched a bunch because I was doing uh, when I was writing for Marimo I watched a few to uh, to add to some playlist articles I was doing but um, yeah this it doesn't quite touch me in the way it does other people yeah but when it touches people it really touches yeah, them in really a big way them. like people hold those films so close to their hearts. When they talk about them, there's a real sort of passionate, like sort of emotional investment. It's definitely a, a a thing about. It's a bit like, I guess, with like Disney, where you sort of access them very young and they're very culturally embraced. Like you know, it's like in France, they have a huge fondness for anime, and actually a lot of Europe, like Belgium as well, anywhere where they have a really good history of of cartooning. Which is always weird to me because you'd think we would have that here, but we don't really because our cartooning is very, very different. Our cartooning isn't general; it's it's political and then very, very child orientated. We don't have this kind of breadth that places like Belgium and France and Japan have. Because mm. we have like we have two opposite ends: we have scarf and then we have the bino, and we don't really have much in the middle. We do, but it's underground. Really, I think I mean, it's very fair to say that on the surface, I mean, what I love about going to a place like, like say, France or Belgium, and you go into their equivalent of uh, just like a, a CD or DVD store or something like that, or a newsagent's, they do have abs- shelves and shelves groaning with like asterisks and uh, Tintin and uh, Tantan or whatever, you know, all these fantastic books that. I just look on in just pure jealousy. They absolutely adore their 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 literature, their their, their lit, um, comic literature, and they really take it as as like say as part of their national identity. It's it's so important to them. When you guys went to Anima last year, did you manage to get to the comics museum? Yeah, and that's what I mean. They just have like it's just far more rooted in their day to day life. Hmm. Like, you know, with us, we have to go to specific comic shops yeah. where, like you say, with them, it's like it's in all of their news agents. It's in their bookshops. Like, it's not just one shelf in Waterstones. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a whole, it's almost half the shop. Yeah, or we can order it in. You know? Yeah, like, it's just not, it's appreciated, but like you say, in a much more underground way. Um. Yeah, I, but I do know what you mean in the sense that, because in other countries, the underground part of it is also kind of, it has a bigger voice, it feels like. And when I was kind of dipping my toes in the waters of, you know, underground comics about eight, nine years ago, and doing a lot of uh, conventions and, you know, selling books at uh, uh, various events and things like that, met quite a lot of artists who just, they were great, a lot of them, and they were definitely underground, because they, they had these very small but quite devoted followings. But they weren't talked about mm. outside of those walls in mm. the way that um, underground comic artists in, say, well, Montreal, for example, is another very comics-loving um, comics uh, area of the world. 
Um, That's because they've got things like drawn and quarterly. It's that thing. It's a, a cultural appreciation. Like I was talking to a friend of mine recently who is uh, dual national French and Irish, and she talks about how her dad is uh, is French and he 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 was a massive comic book fan, and he would take comic books and read them, and then when he, they would go and visit her mother's family in Ireland, they would be really confused why an adult man was reading comics over Christmas. Mm. And it's that's what I mean. It's just obviously we work in the arts and so we have loads of friends who are really into comics and we have friends who are comic artists but the thing i find quite tricky to sort of get across sometimes is really our world is quite small and Mm. we think sometimes i think we forget that people generally are not that educated oh one woman in the film you can see perfect blue and paprika in the back not paprika but one of his other films in the background oh the posters yeah yeah little meta nod to himself um (laughs) But that we forget that, you know, for the general public, you know, it's like when you accidentally, you have to bring up at like a mortgage advisors meeting. It's like, oh, what do you do? I'm an animator. Do you work for Disney? No. Then what I, then I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Where I, I think just generally the understanding of the arts is better in other countries. Like, you know, anything beyond like the Turner Prize or that, you know, if you don't paint, what else is there? Hmm. Anyway. So what's happening in the film at the moment, Steve, <laughs> if you haven't managed to catch it along whilst we've been talking, is um, we have three homeless people, uh, an alcoholic, a uh, transvestite, and a young girl of about 11 or 12 who uh, have formed this kind of family together. And whilst they were uh, having an argument in the back streets, they hear a baby crying and they find a, a little baby girl who's been thrown in the trash. And so they're attempting to find... Her mother. Hmm. It's the uh, the baby was sort of left with a key. So it's like, yeah, it's it's clues. It sets them off this unlikely trio on a Christmas adventure <laughs> to, to to return the baby to uh, her mother and find out why he dumped her in the trash. Um, which you know, it's it's actually played pretty light. That sounds like a pretty dark concept. It, it, um, it has dark moments. It's quite it's, dark. It's moment. tinged with darkness, but it's 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 quite it's it's once again it's a it's a cultural thing I think as well is that the dark a lot of what they say is quite dark, but it kind of just rolls off the tongue. Like there's quite a lot of mentions of like death and suicide in the film, but at the same time it's like oh look cake. <laughs> it's quite an odd like it's not quite harsh subjects and quite horrible things are mentioned almost without levity you know like they're well it's that they're mentioned kind of passingly yeah which is sort of a levity unto itself yeah and it's, like you mentioned something like it's a bit always sunny in some respects <laughs> like there's a kind of like the awfulness yeah. will just kind of like be almost incidental where often if that was going to be mentioned in if you know like i think i mean like think of mary and max when there's a kind of suicide moment in that film yeah it's really like a big part of it and it's sort of you know we have a, a fully dramatic period of time because it is a dramatic part of the film where where people are like hurt in this film is almost played for laughs or it's sort of it's just happenstance sure yeah um but there is also like genuine emotion in it too. Like it's it's not completely without 
Um, because otherwise oh, you no, wouldn't no. really care about the characters. And that but was it, something I found about watching this was how much more than I imagined I would, I found myself liking this group of people, you know. Um, so anyway. They're, um, it's, it's, I was just talking, I, I'm not an expert on, on anime like, like yourself, uh, Laura. I took it upon myself to do a lot more reading on the subjects, um, I put those uh, books in a box, moved house, and I've still not found the box, um, <laughs> which which is which is uh, my own fault. But I think uh, I think I know where they are. They're in somebody's attic, but I'll get them back. Um, but yeah, it, it is. This is the sort of anime culture is something that completely missed me uh, through my kind of uh, formative animation loving years, and I'm sure it missed yourself as well, Ben, because. Um, we, because I remember when they first started coming over, they, because they uh, was it um, uh, the Weinstein Company uh, did a deal with um, uh, uh, with Studio Ghibli, which kind of mainstreamed uh, what what Miyazaki would definitely not call anime, but what is you know animation from Japan, obviously. Um, uh, films like Akira, um, Ghost in the Shell. I knew of them. I'd seen them. I I I'd got into them, but not. There wasn't a kind of. There wasn't a loyal following, if you know what I mean. There wasn't a kind of what there is now, whereas people of my age, or, or, or maybe around your age, Ben, people more likely to be into uh, other animation, Western animation, shall we say, as opposed to, uh, people that are really solidly into stuff from Japan and over there, uh, and Korea. What, uh, would you agree with that? Would you, you know what I, I, it brings to mind, we were, um, uh, among our sort of various bingey things we've been, uh, looking at in lockdown and old shows that we've been digging out. Laura's been listening to a lot of Adam Buxton and watching old Adam and Joe, because you didn't see it at the time. No. And I remembered I had somewhere an old Adam and Joe animation special that I dug out and we watched it. And um, the running joke in that is that they're doing this kind of Rolf's Cartoon (laughs) Club-esque presentation, like a bunch of kids workshopping around them. And all the kids want to talk about is Pokemon. (laughs) Because that's all animation is to them. And they want to talk about Preakpan and, um, you know, Western animation and internet animation. So when are we going to talk about Pikachu? I think I would have been those kids' age. Yeah. When that came out. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Like 10-year-olds. <laughs> um, but I remember that was all. That was definitely the kind of front-runner as far as what had permeated uh, the culture in secondary school. This was, I think, 1999, 2000. So I was, you know, around 15, 16, 17. And kids my age did like it. Um, and they did, you know, there were some kids who had, you know, films that they, I mean, that was actually interestingly, my school was a very, um, uh, rah, rah, lily white, uh, <laughs> big contingent. But there was actually a really large Asian community of students that just never appeared. Like, it was so weird because they, they all played badminton and that was how I knew them. But I never saw them in classes. I had no idea what the hell that was about. But they were, you know, obviously bringing over stuff that they liked. And, um, I learned about certain films that I never really dug, but I, you know, it was interesting because, like you say, they weren't really, you know, 
on TV in the way that you're able to catch them. Like they're on film four quite a lot. I think Ghibli films and um, nowadays, uh, but they just weren't at the time. Um, you'd see occasionally like an anime film um, or Ghibli film or something that uh, had, you know, been a huge hit and been was actually dubbed and playing in British cinemas. And they'd talk about it on the Johnny Vaughan film review show in bafflement like oh my it's so weird they're talking in such odd disjointed uh, sentences and the logic is so and the frame rate's so low and they just didn't kind of appreciate what they were seeing they just were looking at it with this kind of like i guess just cultural ignorance and a kind of bafflement you know mm. that was how it was often presented i think to the sort of general public um as something crazy from overseas. <laughs> and uh, our nation has never quite gotten over that mentality. Yeah. I think what's quite interesting is I think f- for me growing up, because I grew up in the period of, well, there were multiple periods of time where anime boomed in, in our country. But during the, I guess, early noughties boom for me was when Pokemon came over. And then a lot of my friends were into manga and anime. And I was to a certain degree and we would have our libraries had some manga in it um and we would watch some anime and so i i'm i'm aware enough of the culture that i read enough series i understand how to read manga and i understand how to experience anime and i watched a fair few series through and i was always more drawn to series that were based pretty much wholly in reality which is quite odd because it's not really what you think of as anime so things like this i preferred Mm. Uh, there was a series called uh, Paradise Kiss, which is quite has a kind of similar style as well. Like it, it's not quite, it's not the big eye style basically of man of um, anime or manga. It's a little bit more organic, and it was about fashion design students. But what I always found quite interesting about anime is is that they do obviously have uh, age rating rates on it, but because it's cartoons. In our country, we didn't really accept that or acknowledge that. So we're like, yeah, it's fine. It's a cartoon. Go watch it. And I ended up <laughs> reading a lot of really dodgy manga from like my local library because it was all fine, but it was for 18-year-olds and I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like very, one day I'll tell you the story, but it was like really, really sordid. And it had age ratings on it. And I always found that very interesting that in our own country, we didn't have age ratings on books, but they did on manga because it is visual. You know, we're not making it up in our minds. It's literally in front of us yeah that's actually kind of a good point that i guess like people just assume that something it's like with i guess a lot of animation like there's that general assumption okay this will be palatable for you know or certainly perfectly appropriate to show to a younger audience um but i definitely um I, I read books I shouldn't have read that maybe should have had stickers yeah. on them and in the like, way that video boxes did. And it's something to draw attention to with this film is that this isn't really appropriate for young children. I'm not quite sure what the age rating for this is. But like I said, it does have imagery of like quite bleakness. It has a lot of, not swearing, violence. but there's a lot, there's violence and there's just general unpleasantness that wouldn't be appropriate for young children. Also, I think young children would maybe get a little bit bored, but... Mm. Something else to mention about this film that's quite nice is that um, 
where with Miyazaki it's sort of hailed for um, being as close to reality as possible and trying to sort of represent that. And that's kind of what he sort of, you know, what you watch a Miyazaki film is like, oh my God, look how well he captured water moving. Um, where this film and this animator in general is able to sort of, or this director sort of, uses a much more limited style, which has that kind of real life, like, uh, what's the word for position of eyes and stuff? Like scale of what, like features. proportion? Proportion, that's the word. He sort of uses far more um, naturalistic proportions, but then really extreme movements, especially on Hannah. Mm. Yeah. Um, her, her animation for this character is amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, there are extremes that show up, but they, they use so sparingly and they're so effective when they mm. come along. They, they really crack me up. And I think that's um, sometimes something that also puts people off in anime is they can sometimes feel a bit jarring because it, it's like with anything. And I think we are kind of a little bit lazy in the West because we kind of forget that we have all of these uh, shorthands and ideas that we understand as animation, like smears and stuff like that. And we accept that because it's what we've been brought up on. And anime is very similar, like with all the kind of KY, uh, KWI style things. I'm saying that wrong, but I can't pronounce it. Kawaii? 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 Kawaii, yes. Uh, you know, where it all, like, all of a sudden their face will almost look like a meme. Right. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like an emoji rather than an actual face. And there are all these, like, weird little, like, mouth shapes and stuff that you instinctively know and, like, the trope of, like, nosebleeds. Which is something that doesn't really translate properly in the West because it's not something we. What's that about? It's like anytime they're like embarrassed or have a sexual thought, their nose starts bleeding. Okay. So often, like a boy's nose will stop bleeding if like a girl comes along with like a wet t-shirt and giant tits. And that's like and then some it just, kind of. It will just sporadically start pissing blood from their nose. Jesus, is that like a kind of visual synonym then for yeah. getting an erection? I maybe I'm not really sure. But it's it's you know it's a known trope I guess right huh. that you just accept. <laughs> you're like oh okay, and it's I I I think it's comedy, but mm. because it's not part of our like lexicon, yeah, it reads as like what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah, because they they've developed their own well effectively it is a language they've developed their yeah. own language that's that's exactly what what's happened. Uh, and also what's quite interesting is when you've, you've come to anime having not been raised on manga as well, because all of those, they have very similar shorthands. Hmm. And so somehow, sometimes you'll have in summer anime, you have that kind of framing that's similar to manga. And that will be quite confusing because you don't have the knowledge of manga to understand that that's what that is. Yeah. And if you're if you're really like unknown to the whole area, you're like it can be quite jarring, and I imagine quite off-putting because you either have to go, okay, I don't understand what that was, and then carry on. Certainly, when I was younger, I think I I was turned off a little bit by not understanding certain things or not having an appreciation for their origins. Yeah, know, trips, it's like recently I tried to watch Pokemon again. I was like, oh my god, I can't watch this. <laughs> Because well, I, that, I, I think li- it's just true of all childhood shows, yeah, if true. we're really honest. But I mean, I like that kind of a, a, almost acidic jazz <laughs> like <laughs> level of movement that I had from most children's show. But when I I loved Pokemon when I was a kid, 
But I tried to watch them recently, and I'm like, they just never stop yelling. <laughs> it's like, oh no, Pikachu, don't get out, get out of the coal. I'm like, oh, what's happening? And Pikachu seems like a dickhead. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember any of this <laughs> when I was a kid. No wonder kids had fits watching. Yeah, Jesus. It was, it's so high octane. Like, there's no moments of, like, solitude or sadness. It's so extreme. There's a, I think, yeah, those things that you just kind of listed, I think a lot of people, like, you either, you either really just get it, or it's like, nah, this isn't for me. But I think what's definitely changed as I'm, you know, older and animation is a lot more my kind of day-to-day life, and certainly I think also what all of us can probably appreciate from a teacher's perspective as well, Mm. when you kind of have to immerse yourself in, you know, all sorts of different cultural contributions to animation, but also, you know, the general artistry of character animation, and you look at a film like this, and pretty much every shot is just filled with objectively great character work. Like this scene at the moment with the guy under the car, um... And just you know, the strain. Yeah, the exertion, the the. To me, but just his and his, you know, design, his sense of weight about himself. To me, um, this feels very similar to something like um, Triplets of Bellevue. Like has that? Yeah, it has that real sense. That same sense to me, of like, artistry, and palette, and not necessarily being concerned about appeal in the same way. You know, like how yeah. often in our, we, we kind of, for us, appeal is sort of like leaning more into it being attractive rather than interesting. Yeah. And I think that uh, there's, you would perhaps look at a premise like this and think, how do you make three people mostly walking around in the snow mm. interesting for an hour and a half? I also think this is a great representation of why something works so much better in animation than it would ever do in live action like this film in live action would be boring as hell hmm um i I think think it would play well to like a picture house crowd you know i i I mean it is there is a very similar film apparently to this which is like an american uh western which has been done a few times hasn't it i think john wayne did a version yeah but I think the animation in this sense really adds a lot to that, like you say, essentially just walking around a city in the snow. Yeah. Um. Another thing that I think was a big... <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I think was a, a big issue probably between your generation and my generation as to why anime became like a, a hole in my knowledge was as far as all of the schools I went to, anime was very much... Um, dissuaded as a as a a thing to attempt to try to do. Would they have even acknowledged it? Yeah, like when really? I went, okay. like when I went to like, because I went to quite a few art schools through doing okay. like a foundation and undergrad and A level. I remember it being a big issue at A levels. Um, because maybe it wasn't so much a problem for you guys because maybe you're, you didn't have people that were trying to do that, but I had friends who were really into anime and kind of got persuaded, like, persuaded out of going into the art, into arts altogether because their love for anime was so, was made to feel so bad. Oh, I I do remember, I do remember that through college. There were people who were, like you say, actively told you'll get nowhere with it. And it goes, and and it levels back down to that not understanding it properly 
Uh, I, I think there was two. There's two issues with it, and I because I kind of understand the side from both points, having been on the side where I've sort of seen as it wasn't. I kind of got it quite early on as to why, and it was because the problem with it is that when we had people, when you have people coming in that are uh, have portly- portfolios full of anime, mm. the the kind of common line we got is you're just tracing. All anime looks the same, so all you're doing is copying. You're not, you're not learning. You're not creating as an artist. You're just tracing because they're, because of it having this very unique style. It was like you say, it's a, it partially a lack of knowledge and not realizing that there are lots and lots of different types of anime and there are yeah. ways of making it look different and interpreting. And also the fact that it's obviously an incredibly detailed and skilled art form in itself. But like you said, there was that idea that well, you'll get nowhere. But that was also limiting the fact. I was like, well, maybe I don't want to work here. Mm. Um, and I remember having a friend very early on that wanted to go into this and kind of got persuaded out of going into the arts altogether. And I said, the only way you're probably going to get... F- if you really want to be an anime artist and you come from England, the only way you're going to do it is having to sit through the Western idea of what art school is and then get a job in Japan. <laughs> mm. Like You're going to have to go there and then come back and then set up a course and teach people here because you'll have no problem of people wanting to apply because there's definitely a want for it but someone is going to have to be that person that takes it out of the country and then brings it back in for it to become a thing because it's the only way to establish it because I don't know if we I don't think we have an anime studio in England specifically I mean, n- well, no, I think that, yeah, that's, that's, there are can you even that... call it an anime studio if it's in England? Hmm. There are artists like, that employ really sure anime, what obviously. Defines it. Yeah. Well, in the same way, like, I would consider, I think anime as a, as a term probably is synonymous with Japanese animation, Right. but it's also a style. Sure. So, you know, it would be like saying that no one outside of America can do hosepipe animation. I see what you mean, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, was, it sort of also brings up the point that, you know, of course, or, not all Japanese, all animation that comes from Japan is that style. Yeah. Um, and there's actually quite a, a lot of range. If you look at, you know, all the films that we see every year that come from Japan, they don't all look like they're people who are, uh, you know, fans of Ghibli films and want to make their own. Um, of course, plenty do, but the, you know it's it's not like the law that you have to animate in a in a particular house style over in Japan. Mm. Um, but there are very recognizable sort of traits. So it's like to me, it was more about like I think you would have to go to Japan to get the training to be of a skill level to be able to do it because I just think it's a completely different level of ability that I would struggle to think of a course in England where we would be able to do this. He'd be surprised as well, though, you, you, in terms of what we understand as the animation industry and what, what the anime industry actually is in Japan. Mm. A lot of students... So, so when, when, I, when it's come to my teach... When it's come to me teaching uh, and a student who's really heavily invested in, in anime comes up to me, then I'm honest, I don't know anything about anime, but if you want to get into it, then I want you to be the world's leading expert in it and you should devote yourself to it, get stuck in. Just because I don't, don't understand it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go for it. Um, you know, I'm happy to talk about 
my area of expertise all day long, but this is yours, so go for it, you know, not, not holding anybody back. But they have to understand that the anime industry is completely different that to the animation, the Western animation industry. So when we think about the Western animation industry, we think about these kind of, people might be thinking about those kind of Pixar DVD extras where they're all having fun. Oh, it's, it's, it's time for a, you know, a wacky, wacky day in the office and all that sort of crap. Um, but at the very least, there's a, people chat to each other. They share ideas. They create together. They have fun. Whereas the impression that you get from reading articles on the anime industry, the actual nuts and bolts of it, it is working in an office. It is a, it is a, a it is a crunch. Uh, from mm. you know, no one, no one speaks up. It's utterly silent. It's like doing lines. You have to match the exact style that you are being given. There's no, le- there's no room for leeway. It is, it is quite torturous. It's like really old school Disney. Well, well, yeah, but at least you know those those guys at Disney got the opportunity to input their own ideas. Whereas not uh, all of them. No, well, no, absolutely. You, you had to. That's what I mean. It, you had to, to own be a able penis. to produce yeah. something of this quality that is so drawn, like so heavily drawn. Yeah. There's no shortcuts in this. Absolutely. So sometimes anime gets sort of picked up for being like slightly low frame rate or using a kind of reduced style. Someone uh, brought up the other day the idea of like shadowless animation which is something i hadn't noticed before but a lot of anime doesn't have any shading mm. um, and it's that's just a, a distinctive style choice but you know there are there's shortcuts in that sense but you can't cheat this <laughs> like you can't and this is not it's this is why i sort of bring bring up like um the illusionist and stuff like that like you can't cheat this yeah like, you can't what we're seeing now you mean yeah like you yeah. can't not be good at drawing this isn't this isn't like you know puppeteering this is actually being able to draw frame by frame which is not something that we do huge amounts of anymore certainly when i look back going back to what we were saying about like watching old childhood shows and watching some of the the stuff they just pissed out in the 80s (laughs) um and how the lack of consistency from shot to shot it makes it unwatchable for me. Like, it's just, it's, and the lack of direction. You know, the character motivations are, are just non existent. And, you know, they will change position from shot to shot, or they will change, like, you know, their entire way they're carrying themselves. Um, you don't buy into the universe in the way that you do in a film like this, where everything is so meticulously thought out. Of course, there's going to be a budget element as well. And, you know, those shows, I'm sure they were cranking them out at a ridiculous pace but it's like when you uh read interviews and stuff with Shomei when he was making like films like um triplets and and illusionists and how hard it was for him to just find people that could draw like that yeah Yeah. and like just getting and then like he got all these people and they were amazing drawers and then they were really sad because there was nowhere for them to go afterwards because that's just how the that's not how the western industry as a whole works for like series and feature films like it doesn't work in that same kind of artistry level it's all about like how because you know there's 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 simultaneously more money in in animation than there ever has ever been but also less but it's because we produce more so not every production has actually got that much money and we're also very top heavy so it's it's weird how we economically put our money together to make productions and how different that is 
in somewhere like Japan. Like they obviously there are things that they do shortcut on, but it, they're so different to the kind of things we shortcut on. Yeah, they shortcut um, on living standards and uh, <laughs> making people happy. But you know, but then also there's this there's a very much uh, a much higher work effort. Yeah. In you know, in in other countries. And also, you know, it's one of those kind of sad things is that gen we are kind of looked at as a country that does produce great animation and stuff. But we don't really have like when we don't have a goblins, we don't have a school that just produces incredibly talented very very good drawing animators that can really just get work done i think the closest might be arts university bournemouth because that was one of the only schools that show may would hire from because of mm. that hand-drawn animation uh element to it just to just to big them up for no reason <laughs> well no certainly that's from my kind of peripheral involvement with them that's certainly a big thing they push for is quality of draftsmanship and that's something that i kind of you know when being briefed on how to talk to kids you know don't hold back like don't worry i won't (laughs) but Um, also they have a much bigger volume of students than most universities are able to have that is the tricky thing. Because is... I did my foundation there, and I remember that like in the first year, they were predicted to have something like 120 students. And that's actually the reason I didn't end up going on to do my undergrad there, because I was like, I will not remotely stand out in that many people. Yeah, it's... Uh... And for some reason back then, I thought that mattered. Well, I think that that's, that is kind of an issue, I think, because you want to feel, when you're in a university environment and you're putting a lot of stuff of yourself into your work and you're putting stuff out there, like it's a kind of, it's partially creative, but, you know, there's also, it's like, okay, do I cut the mustard here? Is this, you know, this is really a separating the wheat from the chaff situation. And if you feel like your identity is kind of buried in a big mess of people, which was, I think, you know, I'd talk to students and sometimes they felt like they were kind of getting drowned out a bit. And so I'd kind of make a point of, of, you know, hearing what they had to say, but you can't really sustain that. And I wasn't there very often, you know, I was only Mm. there a few days a month and probably, you know, (laughs) it didn't help that much because then I'm gone the next day, you know? Yeah. But I definitely got a sense of, yeah, they were kind of There was a lot of pressure. Yeah. I remember like what, because I, when I was there, I had a friend who ended up going on to do animation there. And when we were on our foundation, she was uh, staying on the halls and we had to go. I went to her halls to have lunch and she knocked on the door of a friend. I was like, oh, I've just got to check in on my friend. I was like, oh, okay. And she knocked on the door and she was like passed out on a light box. Mm. And so her job was that she had to go in and go, time to wake up now so she could carry on drawing. Yeah. Because that's how it full on their course was. Yeah, and I was just like, "Yep, yeah, nope." Yeah, it's something that um, you know. I, I, I retrospectively probably would have been better, but right. or rather, it's one of those difficult things. Would have been better, or would have just been different. Yeah. But you're right. There was I no, know, there's I no know UK it's studio to have a kind Sorry. of organization with more like an exclusivity thing. Not exclusivity, but like. Not the higher numbers, you know, but you yeah. get things like um, 
I think I was very aware at that age that I lacked the confidence to be like a front runner. So I definitely wasn't going to end up getting to direct my own film because they only picked like six or seven films to get directed a year. Hmm. So I probably wasn't going to feel confident enough, especially after having two years of being probably (laughs) mediocre at best. And also I'd gone into animation because I sucked at drawing and... I'd had originally wanted to be in a li- <laughs> great poster for second drawing. Go into animation. Well, no, it's because I'd I'd wanted to be an illustrator. And I was like, "Fuck, yeah. <laughs> I can't do this." Because then, if you're an illustrator, everything relies on that one drawing you did. At least with animation, there's a, at least tw- twelve for them to pick between a second <laughs> to decide whether I can draw or not. And then I very quickly was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to be a drawn animator. Go into directing. Well, go into stop motion. <laughs> All that." Or After Effects, one where I don't have to draw. I uh, I think you you um, if you'd carried on there, I think you would have elbowed your way into being a director and gotten a nice team together. Yeah. I still not so. Yeah, I don't know. I I've very much still had the persuasion a, a lot of right people, up until I finished my MA that I didn't want to be a director. <laughs> so. A lot a lot of people worry about that though, and it and it does. I mean, you know, take taking myself back to being eighteen years old choosing university places and wondering which one will which one will be delighted by my presence you know lots <laughs> of stuff you know you kind of think you know because it's a big decision it's a huge decision and you're looking around and you know if you could if you could turn around and talk to yourself at that age and say look it's it's not going to be an easy road it's it's going to be incredibly difficult but there's also you're going to learn so much about yourself you're going to all these things that you don't currently have and the reasons that are holding you back you will develop those things you will learn those things you will grow as a person as an artist you might not be able to do it now but after a year of hard work you'll be able to do it and and two years of hard work you'll be even better by the time you get to your third year there you go but it's very difficult to think of that as an 18 year old it's very difficult to imagine that you will be i can imagine watching something like tokyo godfathers thinking i will never get there I will never be that amazing, not realizing that I'm, you know, or not uh, in 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 my own head realizing that I'm watching the efforts of. Uh, let's imagine the entire people working on this thousands and thousands of years of experience on exactly. on play on screen, yeah, yeah. which is what you see when you watch a feature film. Uh, if you combine I everyone's think, experience, I do also think that. It's not. I mean, it's pro- it's almost certainly not just a Western thing, but I think the university system as a whole and the education system as a whole in England is it's one that's quite weird when you sort of look at it from like quite far into the other side, where you're like, it is kind of mental that we expect sixteen year olds to know what it is that they want to do for the rest of their life, <laughs> and we ex- we kind of constantly as a culture expect people to. Like by thirty, you should like not only know what you want to do with for the rest of your life, but be quite well into it and like be be progressing into it. And that's kind of nuts. Yeah. When you think about it, because like when you think of like what people pick for their GCSEs, you had like some people that did like maths, maths, further maths, and they were going to be like an accountant. Yeah. Or like an engineer or something. I I, I did like I did like all art subjects and then ICT and accounting. Yeah. But like, and then you had people that did like history, geography, drama, media studies, and it was just like the most random things. Like, what was your what's your plan hmm. there? And like, and they just they take forever to figure out what it is that they want to do. But they probably have more fun 
doing it. And the problem we have is that we tend to get to about like the age of 25 and we've gone down one route. And if we realise at that point that that's not the route we want to be on, it's like, ah, I fucked my life. (laughs) But you're only 25. Exactly, exactly. You've got at least that time again times three. I remember um, at school, I think I must have been in year eight or something. It was year eight because I remember the teacher and uh, she stood up at the front of the class and did, did this kind of, and, and looking back, it was quite, it was quite patronizing to the, you know, growing up in a very sort of, uh, growing up in Barnsley, you know, um, uh, she stood up and she said, everyone here who, uh, when you get a job, when you're older, you'll be wearing a uniform. And we were all like, we were like, what, what, what do you mean? And she was, and she was like, "Go on, then tell me what you want to be." And and we're like, "Oh, uh, policeman." And I was like, "Yeah, you have to wear a uniform." Uh, chef, yeah, you have to wear a uniform. And you know, she was, you know, uh, talking about bin men and things like that. And she went to me, she went, "What do you want to be?" And I went, "I want to be an animator." And she went, "Well, you'll have to wear a." Oh no! <laughs> like aha, aha, I a got name you. tag, maybe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you might need a pass to get into the building. <laughs> oh damn, the uniform, yeah. Um, but yeah, she was like, oh, I don't know about that one. We'll, we'll have to wear a uniform. It kind of makes me laugh just to imagine that animators all wearing uniforms like, like they're at Burger King or something. <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's an odd one, the education system. I've, um, I've found an article that, uh, that I often recommended to my students to read about the, the anime industry in Japan and, and the, the difficulties of it, and if you want to, if you want to find a uh, a great article, I'll, I'll read part of it out. Um, uh, it, it, it says here, uh, "Let's just be clear: it's not a tough industry; it's illegally harsh. It's an illegally harsh industry. They don't pay you even remotely minimum wage. They overwork you to the point uh, where people are vomiting at work and having to go to hospital for medicine." Uh, they demand that you come in whenever they realise a deadline isn't going to be met. That probably means about a month and a half of non-stop work without a single day off. Then you will be allowed to go back to your regular six-day work weeks and 10-hour days. And unlike a friend, the friendly camaraderie of American studios, in Japan, they are completely silent. No one talks or gets lunch together or anything. They just sit and work in complete silence and seem uninterested in changing this. And this article, it's on BuzzFeed. Uh, it's by uh, 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 Dan Meth. Uh, but the animator in question is Henry uh, Thurlow. Um, so it's from 2015. It's a fair few years old, but still kind of... Uh, it gives a fascinating oversight into the... Yeah, in, into the... Uh, what a lot of people don't expect... You completely believe that because you'd be like, well, of course. <laughs> like, look at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we do. But I think that a lot of people with stars in their yeah. eyes would find that very disillusioning. Mm. Oh, there was a, a thing that went sort of semi-viral about a year or two years ago of this young lady who made this big unsolicited declarative YouTube video about how, that's it, I am done with the animation industry and here's why. And it was her talking about, like, how, I mean, it was sort of reasonable in certain respects, but mainly the issue was her idealized view of what the animation industry was and how it didn't kind of immediately embrace her. 
that she had to prove herself and she had to kind of build up, you know, or that she would have to if she pursued it. She would have to build up enough of a reputation to actually, you know, be taken seriously and have series ideas considered or, you know, I'm maybe I'm conflating this with other things, but the the long and short of it was she was quitting before she started because it wasn't, it was work. It was basically. Hmm. Um, but it was, the presentation of it was kind of like, hey, look at this thing I've unveiled, you know, this this great thing I've, I've, I've overturned this rock and exposed these falsehoods about this industry. It's like, no, everyone else just gets on with it, dude. <laughs> yeah, everyone like, knows this. <laughs> That's the shit you get over in your first year. <laughs> You'd think, you know. Yeah. Um, and some people, I, I mean, even in my MA, there were some people who still had a kind of idealized idea of what animation would be. And uh, I remember Chris, you know, our MA had, would say, you know, what he told me in, in my interviews, like, do you want to do this to do like animation and tell stories and learn about this? Or do you want a backdoor into Ardman? Because a lot of people come to us for that because we, you know, we have involvements with Ardman. But we don't directly feed our graduates to Ardman. It's not that simple. I'm like, I don't really see myself, you know, an Ardman having, you know, it, it, that's not my path. I wasn't stop motion, you know. It's like, fine, just something to bear in mind. And I think he said that to everyone. I'm sure they all said, sort of said the same things, but some of them were like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going straight to Ardman after this. Sure you are. And um, <laughs> one of them, you know, the 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 person who really really wanted it the most did the least amount of work um got very very pissy when everything didn't like work out immediately for her afterwards and um grew out of animation that was how it was sort of presented um but everyone i know who's ever kind of like given up they they refer to it as growing out of it (laughs) growing out of this childhood fanciful idea of pursuing animation and i understand that as a rationalization but they you know, like, oh, you're still doing animation. Oh, <laughs> and like yeah, I'm succeeding at the thing you didn't pursue. You know, <laughs> but um, I don't know. So it's, there's a chip on the uh, chip on the shoulder, I think, of some people out there. Um, but the realities of what actually being in the industry and what the the industry demands of you, and you know, it's it's as we're sort of finding more and more. This does happen, you know, um, in this corner of the world, and especially with VFX houses, but also animation. You know, you're hearing stories about people being horribly overworked and horribly mistreated. Um, and, you know, it's not assumed to be the status quo. And I think that that's... There's a, a certain happy medium I think we can strive for with that. You know, expect to work hard. And if you're, you know, you care about the project, yeah, even some overtime, that's fine. But when people's mental health are at stake, um, I, I think that that's sort of, yeah, that's a pretty clear mm. sign that something isn't being do, being done right. Anywho. So we've been, uh, I've been trying to keep an eye on the film at the same time as listening to, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this has basically become the squiggly, what's anime all about? <laughs> yeah, it was going to happen. I mean, it's the first time we've done one, so it's going to happen. We're getting all of our J, <laughs> J film knowledge out in one go. Surprisingly, we have a lot, or we have a lot to say about how we don't know anything. 
Yeah, who'd have thought we'd be able to fill time with we're, it? We're, <laughs> we have a lot to say about something we don't know that much about. We're podcasters. That's what we do. <laughs> um, but uh, tell me, tell me what's happening with with. I mean, I'm I'm still mesmerised by this. It is beautiful work. It is absolutely gorgeous. And so, yeah. one of the thing, one of the few clues they got with the baby was that there was a photo, and so they're trying to find where this, like the exact position where this photo is taken, because they think they can find the building. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst they've been on their journey, Jin, I think, came across a homeless man who was dying, and so he was with him when he died. Yeah. Um, and then he got beaten up by a bunch of youths. Yeah, they all kind of went their separate ways and have uh, come back together again. And uh, Hannah met up with her old madam. Like, came oh, oh, that was it. When he got beaten up, um, one of the ex women who worked in the bar he worked in or she worked in um, saved him. Yeah, so they all kind of convened again at this old club. Hmm. Um, the, and here they've just realised that the ha- this is the house that they've been looking for, and it's been destroyed. That's a great bit of business here with the door. This is the key that they found <laughs> with the baby? Yeah. Ah, finally, the key fits the lock. <laughs> well, fucking good it does. Um, wait for it, wait for it. There you go. Um, yeah, so they've, they're kind of at a dead end now, so they're going to um, need to find people who may know what happened here. So over the course of it, we've also found out a bit of their backstory. So Hannah, as a club performer, had felt disgraced by lashing out at uh, uh, a patron. And so, you know, had... Chose had... to live on the streets instead. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, the young lady... What's her name? Mayuko? Mayuki. Mayuki. Um, she's a runaway having had a big blowout with her dad, thinking that her dad had given away or possibly killed her cat. And she... Responded in a completely neutral manner of stabbing him in the stomach. Yeah, as you do. Some people really like cats. And Jin has uh, said that he was a cyclist who abandoned his wife and child after racking up gambling debts. No, the story he's told is that he was a champion cyclist. That's what I just said. No. The story he's told is that he's a champion cyclist who got involved um, in some shady business and to make money had thrown a race uh, uh, to well, pay f- medical oh, okay. bills for his sick kid. And his kid and wife have died since, and he's disgraced and um, destitute. Um, the truth is more about he's actually... It doesn't really matter because people we'll will out. have seen the film if they're listening to this. But he's actually—I've not. I've not. <laughs> Don't spoil it for Steve. Okay, I'll let—I'll let that revelation hit you <laughs> in the completely <laughs> organic way of <laughs> watching this film while talking over it. Um, you are missing out on some quite bizarre music in this film. I might turn well, it off. The, the only thing I would say I didn't care for in this film was a lot of the music, but uh, I don't think you agreed with me on that. I think you quite liked it. It was kind of, it was bizarre, but I liked it. Like, it doesn't, it's really odd because it'll be like, I think this is what I was sort of talking about where it was like quite horrific things are happening, but jazz score. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, also, or, it's often like, very jaunty. It's a bit no like um, snake jazz. <laughs> like, just like, <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> While someone's like 
finding a human belly. music. Yes, human music. I think we're mixing up our Rick and Morty genres. <laughs> human music whilst Oop. finding a baby Oop. in the in Oop. in a bin. <laughs> um, something interesting I I noted when I was looking up the availability of this film, and I I think I mentioned at the beginning that it's been re-released uh, this year with an English dub. Oh. Um, the version that we have is the original uh, with subtitles, but I'm assuming it times it's the same timing, so you could watch the newer release if you have it along with this. Um, but they've so they've recast all the characters with you know English speaking actors, and um, I w- I watched some press material for that release. It's a remaster as well. They've cleaned it up. Um, and they watched some press material for when it originally came out. One interesting thing is how the terminology for the character, Hannah, um, who you mentioned earlier, is a transvestite. And in the new EPK for the film, Hannah is described as a trans woman. Um, mm. At the time when this film came out, 2003, the, the term they used over and over and over again, drag queen. Mm. And it was interesting because I hadn't heard that term in such a long time. What, drag queen? Well, I've heard it, obviously, in the past, but I'm saying I haven't heard it in such a long time that uh, I was not sure if it was sort of... Have you heard of RuPaul? <laughs> I guess. I've heard, but it's not it's my... A, drag queen is a pretty big part of the general I think, lexicon I, But I think now. it's because of perf- a drag queen as a as a, a profession, as opposed to a... As, as a, um, a life. As a ch- yeah, I think what uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. I think you're trying it's a, it's to a say it's a grey area. I'm not quite sure what what the position is. I'm not quite sure what it is that Hannah, because because of this thing of like like you say in like in the past, it was always referred to as a um, like she was referred to as a drag queen. This was the the sort of point I was making yeah. is that there was a term. Yes, twenty yeah. years ago, which she definitely is because she works in a club as a drag queen. But as then, the like performer. you said, Steve, she is living as a transvestite, like she lives as a yeah. as a female. But as far as we, and it never comes up, so I, I, I'm assuming she's not had any kind of surgery to become a trans woman. It doesn't but, matter. It's sort of yeah. interesting how, like, you know, whoever is, you know, taking the lead on reissuing it as a film, um, the character is is just Hannah, really, in the film. Yeah. If you watch it, she's who she is, hmm. but. You know, there's a kind of attribution but, that has changed yeah, in 20 years. But also, her sexuality is constantly referred to in the film as well. I, yeah. Because Jin constantly refers to her as that, like, as a queer. The So, yeah, the guy who's with them, of the three of them, the guy, yeah, is quite um, derogatory, I guess, yeah. toward her throughout. So, he only really sees a man dressed up as women's clothing. But and it's kind of, kind of, I think it's meant to be in that kind of like 90s, early noughties way of like, it's a term of endearment because they are friends. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It but sort also, of depended on the scene. Old, in some instances, man. it seemed like he was just being kind of mean spirited and wanted to kind of, you know, hurt her feelings. But they're kind of, they all have that. Like, I think, yeah. doesn't like, Mariyuki refers to him as Giza. Well, at one point also, he like, grabs Miyuku by the chest. Yeah. You know, molests her, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, that's a bit of a trespass of, yeah. of civil comportment. Well, and, and in that moment as well, like, he's like, hit her on the head and she says, even my dad didn't ever hit me. Yeah. So. So they are, they are definitely a flawed bunch. And Jin is, I think, the guy 
of the three of them, Jin has the most, I think, by way of like salvation to achieve. Yeah, there's these moments of just like random. There is so much bizarreness in this film. Mm. Which would be a great line from the ambulance driver calling ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) He seems very unfazed by it. He's an ambulance driver, he's seen some shit. (laughs) It's it's a it's a bold choice, isn't it? Obviously to um Oh, blimey. To, uh, I, I don't know if it's part of the original novel, because it's, it's originally, it, um, it, in the original, it's uh, it's bank robbers uh, who look after a, a child, and so that's why it's lent itself so well to Westerns uh, in the past. But it, it's, 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 an, it's, it's interesting that it's been, it's, they've chose to use uh, vagrants um, and, uh, deal with transvesticism as well in, as, as part of the, uh, if that's the right terminology. Uh, it's as- not that uncommon in anime, though. Like, there is often a character who is some kind of, some form of non-hetero. Hmm. Like, even, you know, is a male who dresses female or feminine. Like, I mean, even Pokemon had James, who was very, very uh, a feat as a male. And constantly dressed up as all the female characters in it, like that was very common, and it wasn't quite in the same le- like at the same way in- that Bugs Bunny does, for example. Like it was yeah. far more just part of his character. Like he was right. just very effeminate, and he was it was him and another uh, a female character who were like the kind of henchmen villains in the in the in the show, but she wasn't any less feminine. It wasn't like she was somehow butch to sort of make up for his kind of feminine quality. He just enjoyed wearing dresses sometimes. Okay. Um, and that's quite a common thing. I think there's also a character maybe in Sailor Moon that does that as well. Uh, that show I mentioned earlier that had Paradise Kiss, that one of the main characters and that was also a uh, transvestite. So it's, it's actually not that uncommon in anime. I don't, hmm. I, or at least in my experiences, it might just be because I tend to, like I say, watch shows that have more of a uh, reality-based narrative. Sure, so would, yeah. would that would that kind of lend itself to the why the parents and why the sort of the older generation didn't like anime when it came over because they were they were unsure about all what was on screen and it was it was promoting ideas that at the time might not have been familiar. I can't imagine they would spend that much attention on it to have even mm. noticed that that was happening. I think because they're drawings and because they're quite stylized and because we don't necessarily un- in this in our country even know how to read characters, I think, and because it would probably have been also in the original uh, Japanese and would have been subtitled, I don't think any parent or or uh, tutor of that time was sitting down and actually watching any of the shows. So I don't think they'd have even known that that was happening. And I do wonder if that was part of the appeal of it growing up, was that you could get away with watching quite sordid stuff and your parents would never know because as far as they could see, you were just watching cartoons. Mm. But they would often have quite graphic uh, violence and sex. And that would be like, you wouldn't even be actively looking for it. It would just be part of the show. Mm. And it does sort of show a certain... It's a mixture of like the fact that they obviously have a much broader spectrum of 
what they think animation can do and who it can talk to but also there is a certain level of maturity in their youth that we don't allow for so they sort of get the they get sort of um introduced to these ideas a lot sooner than our kids do hmm and I would say largely those are the pe- my friends who are like very into anime and manga are probably the more of all of my friends are the more accepting people who will take anybody from any walk of life and be friends with them because they don't you know that might just be a subject of their upbringing and who they are as people but I do wonder if anime played a part in that well the, the earlier you uh, you understand that it's you know it's, it's it's just a person like anyone else then that's that's only a good thing Mm, or, exactly. or, or so you get to a point where the, I suppose it's all to children, people are people and it doesn't really matter. And then you get to a certain age where you uh, are told the difference between boys and girls mm. or, you know, and, and all, all these ideals come at you. And at some point, you know, the wrong stuff gets put in you and you, you decide that certain things are bad and certain things are good where earlier on, you know, some people continue a long life being exposed to films maybe such as this or other ideas as you were just saying there Laura that that continue that idea that um people are people and you know love is love and you know do what you're gonna do it's no business of anyone else's this is quite an odd moment what might me talking like a lot of bollocks (laughs) no in the film (laughs) remember we're watching a film (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah so this is uh he's just met his his daughter. There's a lot of coincidences in this film that are kind of nuts. So uh the nurse that was looking after Hannah um and who talked to Mayuki in the uh in the waiting room about the baby. The baby and her share the same name and same birthday somehow. And um oh no, wait, not same birthday, just same name. Um and that's how we find out that it's Jin's daughter. And so they've just had a conversation about how he uh, he left them having racked up gambling debts and Hannah's chastising him for lying to them. Hmm. About the, the dead daughter who was standing in front of them very much yeah. alive. But the, the facial animation in this, like she Incredible. just had it. Yeah, and, um, so good. You, you know, you can <laughs> just tell whoever got these shots are just fucking having fun. relishing it. I'm relishing watching it. It's brilliant. It's, it's it's superb. But you completely like because we're watching this without sound. You completely get the emotion behind every single word. Hmm. You know, um, one of the people I, I knew from the MA. Um, she's one of those amazing people who like throws her face into every syllable, mm. and it's a wonderful thing to watch. Like people who just really make good use of their face, mm. especially if you're an animator. Um, I think yeah, like it's a great sort of observational thing because it's like you know that's the kind of thing you want to capture when you're you know conveying emotion, and it could be quite subtle, but it's obviously a lot more fun if it's kind of big and exaggerated. Um, and uh, what was it? Someone else pointed out um, oh, the woman from Dairy Girls with her face, you know, mm. uh, the main uh, actress in that, like, she yes. she just throws every just muscle in her face into every moment of that show, and it's just, it's a captivating show to watch, just for, like, what she does with her head. Um, so, people are looking for reference material, and they want to pop 
polish up their facial animation. <laughs> um, but for stuff like this, you know, when you really kind of are given an opportunity to, um, you know, throw everything into a performance. I mean, that's definitely something also, you know, going back to Bournemouth, like that was a, a big part of what, you know, these kids are, are being challenged with the acting exercises at the end of the year. Like they were pretty sophisticated um, scenarios they were turning in. You know, it was usually a character or two characters interacting that needed facial and body animation complementing one another with, you know, lip sync, not so much in terms of the mouth movement, but in terms of the, uh, they would call it lip sync, but timing the body action to the the dope sheet, mm. what's being said. Um, and that I remember finding extraordinarily encouraging that they were, you know, being encouraged to, you know, do an exercise like that in such depth. Because that's going to, I mean, it's not going to come up super often, unfortunately, in terms of the type of work that's readily available. But if you luck out and get a series with, like, good, you know, character animation, um, then you're going to have a complete toolkit. Hmm. You know, even if it's something, like, with really simple designs, you know, you'll know your way around them and you'll know how to bring a strong performance out of something that's been designed in a very simple way. Um, right. So what's happening in the film? There's been a bus yeah. stop. So they've just realised that this uh, this baby's been reported missing. So it's probably not the woman they've been looking f- for who's abandoned it. Because that doesn't make sense. Why would she report it missing if she also abandoned it? So Hannah and Eriki have gone off to try and find the mother not knowing this. And but Jin has just seen this on the news. I'm looking. Uh, I looked up the the Three Godfathers uh, original novel. I'm looking at the the adaptations that there've been of it, and obviously we we said it's lent itself to westerns as uh, there's other westerns, but uh, one of the other adaptations is uh, the 2002 3D animated family film by Blue Sky, Sky Studios, Ice Age. Oh! <laughs> oh I, I see, see that. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, made me chuckle as <laughs> well. Who do you think Hannah is? <laughs> um, Sounds like we saw her, surely. So here we go. She, they were just talking about suicide and then they just stopped someone from committing suicide. <laughs> and then it turns out serendipitously that this is the mother of the baby. What? I know. Serendipity plays an enormous role in this film. It's a film really about coincidence. It's the main character. (laughs) I did almost lose it at this point. I was like, oh, come on. And then I had to remember it is a Christmas film. (laughs) But I I think it's more forgivable because of what is left to unfold of the story. This isn't the last scene. But I'm like, you're in bloody Tokyo. (laughs) Like, what are the chances? Oh. Blimey, yeah, Hannah shiner. just gave her a real good meat cleaver hand slap <laughs> for uh, abandoning her baby and then also trying to kill herself. So yeah, they've discovered that this woman didn't abandon her baby. Well, that she's had a hard, hard uh, marriage. And her, no, but her husband abandoned the baby. That's what she's telling them. Yeah, that's yeah, what the, I'm saying. The, the husband took the baby and abandoned it. Um, but we have learned before this scene 
that her marriage was was bad. That because he was her a gambler was and an alcoholic gambler, yeah. yeah. Um, and that they'd had, yeah, yeah. So, so much emotion. Seemingly in the mission anima- accomplished. Yeah, I can see the timeline, Ben. It's not. <laughs> How long is this film? It's an hour oh, and a half. There's just so much to it. Like it's it's hmm. yeah, they fit a lot in into a story that like really you could summarize in like maybe two sentences. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's like it's a story about the people it's about yeah. their sort of personal journeys and they've been kind of you know brought together by this unifying thing that is sort of you know it's it's peaceful and innocent and it's something that they're all on the same page about you know is is making sure this baby is safe so apparently on the coffee table in this room there's a magazine that has um the group from blue uh perfect blue in it <laughs> So, of the uh, the pop group. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> Everyone's faces are made of There's... goo. <laughs> <laughs> no one's eyeballs are in their sockets. Yeah, the eye, any eyeball isn't doing you know the same thing for more than a millisecond. Is it because they're drunk? <laughs> it's like they're visually showing what they're seeing. <laughs> In their mm. face. <laughs> like in midsummer. So, yeah. <laughs> the eyes go all goofy. So as as Jin found the dad here. Yes. He is a hoarder and he lives in garbage. <laughs> I'm Did laughing, you... but uh I'm 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 currently sat in what was the math office. Uh <laughs> and <laughs> we're just surrounded by Amazon boxes. <laughs> Covered in bees. That's us too. <laughs> And ours isn't even, we didn't even put on a festival. That's just how we live our lives. I know, I'm just using the festival as an excuse to be a a horrific person. (laughs) (laughs) It's just nice to build little forts out of all the boxes. Recycling (laughs) bins are too far away. I mean, I've not got that excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Lazy, Uh, lazy. Did you say if you'd seen Perfect Blue or not, Steve? No, I've not. No, it's on my list of big, long list of films to see. Um, maybe it could be a. <laughs> Look at the face. <laughs> the There's crying. so much snot in this film as well. <laughs> no, I've not seen it, but it's it's often recommended to me. I mean, it, it, like I say, I got these books that I need to read into, and what I was going to do, I was going to make a list, and I was going to go through it that way. I was going to, you know, give myself a um, a, a proper anime education, but um, and, and and that was obviously part of it. But um, you've seen it. Yeah, that was an interesting film to kind of because I sort of watched it, I think more passively than you were. But what I saw of it because it, it's older than this film, I think by a good five or something years. Yeah. I think it's sort of mid to late nineties it came out, and it was kind of about social media. Mm. Weirdly, it was, it was about a bit sort of mirrory, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it was a kind of pop sensation who tries to kind of go legit. Right, she wants to be an actor. Hmm. and leave her sort of... She's in a kind of S-Club 7, but, you know, uh, Japanese... Um, girl band. Girl band. Um, and wants to, you know, have a career as an actor. And so it's sort of about her getting... Finding out about, like, her fandom, I guess. And 
finding it quite disquieting. And one of there's a fan I think that's you know clearly a stalker and is threatening her. And there's so much about like how we present ourselves online because it's like even though it's like 1997, it's like you know the the worldwide where the information superhighway. Nice. Not even MySpace, like, you know, uh, uh, the like old, like, 28K modems that would, um, uh, you know, take 20 minutes to connect and, you know, chat rooms and things like that. Going to uh, surf the internet and ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, yes. <laughs> Netscape Navigator, your one-stop <laughs> shop for all your <laughs> internet surfing. They're still better than Bing. Anything's better than Bing. Um, Bing sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's better than Bing. I can't look up a single thing in Bing without getting porn. That's just upsetting. I've <laughs> yeah. got it on Insta porn. Well, that shouldn't be the default setting, though. <laughs> Should it? I think it, I think many people would disagree. <laughs> Have you tried looking up porn on Bing? See what happens. <laughs> then then I get what I want. Back. Then I can get my <laughs> flight times. <laughs> Okay, so Jin is just rushing to tell them like that about the dad and how he'd abandoned her because that wasn't their baby and their baby had uh, the baby that she had been pregnant with had died, and so she's gone nuts and stolen a baby from a hospital. Oh, he's doing like the charades. Yeah, this is this, uh, is, this is baby <laughs> <laughs> mother. Somehow they got mother from that. I mean, it wouldn't be Christmas without. Charades, was it? Charades. Very true. So, I mean, technically, this is a Christmas movie in terms of what time of year it's set. But it's not (laughs) like, you know. I found this scene very disturbing where she's trying to feed the baby that is not hers. Yeah, because she wants to bond. And she's gone nuts. And she's got that really nutso stare. And the baby's all cold. And this baby's everywhere. There's so many babies. <laughs> yeah, that seems to go. <laughs> I love this run cycle. It's my favorite yeah. run cycle I've ever well, seen. Hands up. Got this like Scooby Doo where they're all running. <laughs> they're yeah. all like repeated with a uh, crazy runs. <laughs> and Hannah's just been hospitalized, and they're just like, "Should you be running?" She's like, "Well, I have no choice." Yeah. <laughs> so they're running around film. trying to find the baby and the mum. Mm. And apparently Tokyo is alive with the sound of screams. <laughs> there's there's one for the Tokyo Tourist Board if they want that one. Can, <laughs> if we're looking, alive with the, the sound, sound of screams. <laughs> okay, this is the only other part in this film I don't understand. I don't understand how they don't catch up to her for so long because she is running at like a slowest pace possible and they're like full on pelting it. Yeah, in the snow, tiptoeing like, with the baby. How long was that park? I'm like he hesitates and they still are nowhere near I'm like where did you go (laughs) so yeah we're saying this is a this is the first of um, of four Christmas movies we're going to be watching or films if you prefer film Um, yeah so we've got uh, we've got a selection on the way haven't we Um, but uh, I'm really glad we picked this one first it's Hmm. It's a proper left field. I, I did um, a couple of days ago. I did ask uh, at the end of November if anyone could name any kind of. I put on Twitter anyone name any stone cold classic animated Christmas films, 
And if I ignored everybody suggesting Muppets Christmas Carol, uh, there's some some good ideas. There's some really good ideas here. And I think we could, we can, we've easily got enough for next year as well. Uh, Even if we are forced to watch um, uh, the Polar Express, which, which people love, by the way. No, they don't. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. They just want to put us through it, don't they? They like they like to hate it, surely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's def- that's definitely that's definitely where I stand on it, and I'm interested in it as a sort of as a piece of history. Yeah. But it's you know <laughs> that's it's an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's How like an, did this get made? <laughs> an odd, weird piece of history that you not wouldn't particularly be proud of, like. Say the reign of terror or something like that. I, don't, you know. I think it stands to test just that they will literally make anything with Tom Hanks in it. Yeah, yeah. If you get Tom Hanks on board, it's a goer. It, it, exactly, exactly. Um, but there were some there were some pretty good um, suggestions that we obviously can't fit into this podcast because it's an out. You know, we won't try and do features. Uh, but we had a few suggestions. Our very own Aaron Wood suggested Yogi's First Christmas. I don't know if you remember that one. No. Oh, it was brilliant. <laughs> uh, Yogi Bear's first Christmas, because obviously he hibernates every year and he wakes up one Christmas, um, doesn't he would die. Kill everyone. Yeah, he would, wouldn't he? You don't wake up a bear from hibernation. <laughs> it will kill everyone and then die. But yeah. It's a terrible Christmas That's film. That's the plot of the film. It is. You've got it. They did it in half an hour. Um, I have no idea how that baby survived, by the way, just then. That was nuts. Resilient baby. It f- got flown out of a truck, <laughs> attached to an alcoholic man. Well, he, he was carrying her. He was protecting her. How is he not dead? He's been saved by booze. It's like uh, if you drink enough brandy, you won't drown or freeze to death. <laughs> I love any film where there's a car driving in a building because that, to me, just is like the pinnacle of what the hell. Yeah, Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you getting really exacerbated by that sequence when we were watching this the first time. Oh, she gets a coat cut on the bed. And you're like, sweet baby, Jesus, <laughs> is a unnecessary stress. <laughs> like, what, what an odd thing to kind of decide to include, but, you know, clearly the intention is to sort of contribute tension. to a suspense of work. Um, any other suggestions? Um, we got one called... Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Matty Davis suggested that one. Yeah, never heard of it. What the hell Country is tune, isn't it? Uh, apparently, it was always Bit of on. Americana. Yeah, apparently, it was always on Cartoon Network. Hmm. But is, it, uh, is that a feature film though? No, no, no one suggested features. Ben, no one's no one. <laughs> no one got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it did. I write feature. I put Christmas for uh, animated Christmas films, and I in my head film kind of means feature, but I should have said. So I've got lots of half it's hour. All, it's your fault, Steve. It's my. It is my fault. I'll take full responsibility for that. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't the internet read my mind? Um, uh, Joseph Wallace, who we've had on the podcast before, uh, suggested uh, the Rankin Bass Christmas films. Yeah, once again, they're really tricky because they're all just short. I would love to do those because I've never really watched them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen, you know, like everyone, I've seen clips of them and I'm aware of them, but they're so not a part of our world. 
Yes, they're not part of our. They're, they're very American, aren't they? They're very. Does sort that mean of... that people in America aren't made to watch The Snowman every year? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what they watch. Yeah. They watch uh, they Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Like, have they watched The Snowman? Now this came up at some point. We were talking to someone about um, how The Snowman just wasn't a thing. Um, so oh no, it wasn't on screen. It was just a conversation I had with a friend uh, from Hungary, and she, the, the snowman is meaningless to her. Isn't that um, mental? But they have theirs. You know, they have their own thing. Wallace yeah. and Gromit is the only thing. It's not even sure. about Christmas, but, it, but as a Christmas thing, they show that's the only thing that's travelled. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Obviously, uh, Joseph Wallace also suggested Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, I think well, that, that's a, that's sort of a given. That's our exactly. own Christmas present to each other. Exactly. Let's just talk all the way through this film. <laughs> and I will be watching at least five times during Christmas. Because I didn't You've watch it once during Halloween. Now we abstained this year from the Halloween, Halloween watch. There's so many more options. I think the reason why that happens is because there's so many more options of things to watch at Halloween anyway. Like, you have mm. every horror film ever made. Pick one. <laughs> yeah. Where at Christmas, it's like, do you want to watch all of the Wallace and Gromits? Yes. And then Nightmare Before Christmas? Yes. Every year? Yes. I'd do it every day. Um, as long as it's not The Great Escape followed by The Sound of Music, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't mind The Sound of Music. I can't be asked with The Great Escape, though. You've seen him jump over that wall once. You've seen him jump over it a million times. <laughs> it's um I remember the great escape as a kid absolutely loving it. And uh, but it's one of those films that's been boy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it's one of those films that sort of gets more and more tarnished as you get older cuz it's kind of really plays up and a uh, a thing that never happened, you know, and I know, I know all films do that. But there's a Also, a, we can basically just watch Chicken Run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's watch Chicken Run instead. It's got chicken in it. And that's always on as well. Yeah. <laughs> Could we consider Chicken Run a Christmas film? I know it's not remotely, but there is a Christmas scene in it. Sort well, of. There's, there's chicken, and some people have chicken for the Christmas dinner, so... We've already yeah. done Chicken Run, This is we? mental, like when Hannah just <sighs> runs down the side of a building like bloody um, Spider-Man. Okay, so this is the only part of the film that is pure fantasy. Wow. Draft. Yeah, somehow there's magic. This is Christmas. Here we go. This is the Christmas miracle. This is how it's a bit of wind. This is how it, this is how it constitutes as a Christmas film because Santa made it happen. <laughs> and it's beautiful, isn't it? It is it's absolutely gorgeous. And it she's so sad she didn't kill that baby. <laughs> she's bummed out. <laughs> she's so bummed out. Why? I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't like, for you. Like she wasn't going to do it, but she looks so sad about it now. <laughs> it's a freaking miracle, love. Cheer up. <laughs> so they return the baby to its rightful parents, who seem quite like they—they're very calm about the situation. Yeah. Like, oh, good. So, uh, so yes, at this point, pretty much every story's been. Uh... Uh, sort of wrapped up every character's had their arc. Oh, wait, out. there's one more, like, serendipitous thing to happen. Yes, what serendipity plays a part I, once again. This I don't get still. 
Oh, there's a winning lottery ticket. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Ah, okay. Because they read the lottery numbers. I, I thought like... it was money, and so I was like, where did they get all the money from? Because I don't, like, the currency looks different, you know? And I had yeah, I think on. that it was like a bag of lottery tickets. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is a nice moment that we should pay attention to. Well, it's, it's nice that it's kind of, it's a sweet moment, but it's also kind of a punchline. Like, there's something kind of weirdly comedic about no, how... Oh, I see. They're going to be the godfathers to the baby. Ah, like the title of the film. Yeah. <laughs> and? Oh, shit, it's that guy I stabbed. <laughs> it's my pa. What? No and way. And a big dramatic reunion about to happen, and... I just love that. <laughs> I just like the fact that it ends on the baby being like, it was all down to me. <laughs> what am I like? <laughs> Magical Christmas baby strikes oh, again. Oh, wait. I forgot. The end credits are mental. Oh, this is... <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. It's so good, Steve. You're going to love this. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the film. Way! Look at them go. What? <laughs> I know. I love this because we've been talking for so long about how incredible the artistry is, and then the end credits are just like, and then they all went nuts. <laughs> they finally found the morphing tool in After Effects. It's that magic Christmas wind. It's going. <laughs> it's so jazzy. I love it. See, this this is what this would be my contribution to this film. Yeah. If I were say, Laura, you get to do the end credits. Yay! <laughs> Jiggly jaggly. And Imagine pitching that. Disappointed in me. <laughs> you pitch so that, you. it gets in. <laughs> that was Tokyo Godfathers. It's so good. I will watch that actually a few more times. I think. Yes, yeah. I will as well. I think I, I'm delighted that we picked that one. I think that was uh, that was fantastic. We're not going to be doing votes this time round, are we? We're going to be doing things slightly differently because. There's a very limited it's, amount of Christmas films. We're not to be beholden to the schedules we're of our audience. We're two lockdowns in. We do not care anymore. <laughs> like, it's we'll our just way. pick at the films, deal with it. It's our way or you can go away. <laughs> you let's can have, comment, let's have that as the advert. <laughs> oh, I uh, care. Come on. Give us your comments. <laughs> and I'll forget yeah, to read them we're out. Gonna, I think pre-record a little more in advance and um, stagger them rather than do them right up to like the wire because yeah. mm. we want to do the whole month and we'll get one out I think on Christmas Eve will be the last one. Oh, that would be nice. But I don't want to be editing podcasts on Christmas Eve so. Um, I also think it's quite nice to not have to make any choices in December because you have so many choices to make in general this year especially at the moment thanks to the government. That's our gift to you. You mm-hmm. don't have to choose what film you're watching. We're choosing them for you. <laughs> <laughs> so do we know what's next week's film? Just so we can get people so excited. So what would have been my first choice for the first film, we'll do next week, hopefully, um, because it's it's even less about Christmas than this <laughs> film. <laughs> but it's it's a baffling conundrum of a film. It's called Dot and Santa Claus. Oh my God, I'm so glad we're seeing this film because you have not stopped talking about it. Well, it's no, a, no, it's, it's Dot and the Kangaroo we've not stopped talking about. Of Australian... You uh, wanted to do this since the first episode. Well, I, I I think that, you know, you know, in an ideal world, we do the Dot and Kangaroo, Dot and Santa Claus double bill, but I think, you know, we, we need to keep it to <laughs> Dot and Santa Claus to keep with the Christmas theme. I mean, they're not... Dot and the Kangaroo 
it's fine. Like it's a it's a kids film about wildlife. I've just like, I've never Dot seen and Santa Claus is batshit. It's <laughs> it's it, it's so the premise is so basically the Christmas component is is it's a little girl who gets kidnapped kidnapped by a guy dressed as Santa Claus and fantasizes an animated cartoon adventure where she's being taught all about different cultures of the world. I don't know why, but I feel like this is somewhat the plot to every Australian film I've ever seen. Like Maybe you child just seen gets Dot kidnapped the, by person, but for some reason we're okay with it because it's the nineties. <laughs> um so yeah, uh it it kind of has to be seen to be understood I why I'm so fascinated by it. Because it's full of just head-scratching uh, directorial decisions and story decisions. And animation, like everything we've talked about, about like character animation that communicates clearly. Like so many scenes in this film we just saw where we don't need the sound or the subtitles. We know exactly what the mood of the scene is. And what each character's feelings toward one another are. I think we can all agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the case so much with Dot and Santa Claus. It's really they're just trying to get the fuck to the end of each shot. Mm. <laughs> um, and so what ends up happening are these just like little moments and asides. Don't ruin the film. Well, okay, I'm just teasing it for, uh, you know, for the, 15 the seconds. Anticipation. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's next week, I think. Well, lovely talking to you all. Nice to talk to you guys too. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of this film. Let us know what you think of Dot and Santa Claus. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.